The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. This hour, two giant warnings from two giant tech companies. What Amazon and Microsoft are saying about the state of the tech sector today. Plus, the CEOs of AMD, Qualcomm, and CrowdStrike live from CES with new announcements and up, uh, Outlook updates. Uh, later, some fresh data shows consumer spending is as strong as ever with online holiday sales hitting a new record. We'll dive into that deep. Good morning, Carl. We're going to start with fresh commentary from Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella warning that a recovery for tech is still two years away. Nadella also noting that extreme growth seen in the pandemic is ripe for a correction in spending, payroll, investment, and efficiency. I think overall, quite frankly, whether it's for us as Microsoft or the tech sector, it's going to be very, very important to look inside and say, are we as efficient uh, as we need to be to be competitive? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, just because we are a technology company doesn't mean that we are the most efficient at what we do. Big tech's big warning also taken further by Amazon. CEO Andy Jassy confirming that the company will lay off more than 18,000 workers. That's nearly twice what was initially announced. And then there is productivity. ADP's chief economist noting at a recent CNBC Workforce Executive Council town hall that 2022 was the first year with three consecutive quarters of productivity drops since 1983. Still, tech jobs, they continue to pay nearly double the national average. And the industry does have an outsized impact on the economy, accounting for more than 10% of GDP in 2021 and growing an average of 6.7% annually. Steve Leisman joins us now for some context in a volatile environment for tech. And Steve, I love that GDP number because we often talk about how tech jobs, they make up a very small percentage of the workforce, but that GDP impact is key here. Yeah, and if you look for the, at the unemployment rate or the unemployment numbers for the impact of these tech layoffs, you're looking in the wrong place. You're right to look in the GDP area, look at personal income numbers. These jobs, as you said, pay well. They're also a big part of the productivity that the United States is able to achieve. Uh, Deirdre, I brought a, a, along some back-of-the-envelope numbers for you. What we did here, this is just, you know, very rudimentary math. We look at the total revenue of Apple versus the number of employers, which we got from from our buddy Steve over there. Look at these numbers, $549,000 of revenue per employee at Apple. And look at the average employee, we did right there, the number of employees divided by GDP, 171,000. So your Apple employee is generating three times or more than three times more revenue than your average employee in the United States. So that's where you can look for the impact. Look at the price, the, uh, the salaries and the income they get, as well as the productivity. That's why in general, that's one reason why in general, these tech companies are so much more highly valued. They do a whole lot with not a whole lot of employees. And Steve, I, I wonder, what are the chances that these tech layoffs are kind of a canary in the coal mine for what we see happening, um, not just with labor, but with 
economic growth overall. So many of these companies leaned hard into the growth period that we were just in, tried to hire a bunch of people and were able to because they were willing to pay that top dollar. Now, as things are slowing down, we see them cutting. Could this just be the leading edge of the cuts that we're going to see more in the financial services industry, perhaps, and then rolling through the rest of the perhaps less productive economy? You know, John, that's the reason I watch Tech Check, because I want to understand the macro of what's happening uh, in the tech sector. And I have to tell you, there's conflicting data out there and conflicting ideas. Um, you know as well as I do that some of these tech companies overhired uh, during the pandemic. And when I look at the releases about the layoffs, some of them are saying we have to right-size our business for the new reality in which some of the online shopping, some of the online uh, business that was being done has now moved into brick-and-mortar stores or back towards normal areas. So part that does not worry me. What worries me is the cuts that go into the broader or, or say, pre-pandemic levels of um, of activity. And the contradicting information on that is when I look at the macro on the overall labor market, it looks pretty healthy still. The job openings were still strong at 10.4 million. The jobless claims numbers uh, are still, if you look at the four-week moving average, it's actually moving down at a time when you should have uh, it moving up. So the interesting thing to follow here, watch the headlines and be mindful of them as what you said, John, a canary in the coal mine. What we don't know is how many of these tech workers, because of the tightness in the labor market, are finding work elsewhere and relatively quickly. There was a ZipRecruiter survey that showed 79% are going back to work uh, or finding jobs and 37% finding work within a month. So that would not be a canary in the coal mine. That'd just be a, a coal mine with, I don't know, producing some coal. Uh, Steve, a remarkable intersection between uh, tech and macro. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about it later. Uh, Steve Leisman this morning. All of that negative sentiment against the backdrop of the world's largest technology trade show, and that's CES, where companies like AMD, Qualcomm, and CrowdStrike continue to invest at least in hardware in the future. But layoffs and anxiety over recession not completely absent from Las Vegas this year. Our Julia Borston is on the ground there. Morning, JB. Good morning to you, Carl. Well, that's right. CES is a lot smaller than we were when we were last here in January of 2020. And after years when CES featured far out robots this year amid recessions, the focus is more on the practical with a particular focus on transportation, sustainability and digital health. One example in the digital health space is U-Scan. This is a device you stick in your toilet to monitor metabolic and reproductive health. We've also seen Samsung, which usually features flashy giant TVs. Now on those giant TVs, it's showcasing health tools, including a telemedicine app. Now, another key theme here is interoperability. There's a new standard protocol called Matter that's being featured to reassure consumers that if they invest in products from Samsung, Apple, Google, Amazon, and others, those products will all work together. And this all comes as the Consumer Technology Association projects a 2.4% decline in U.S. consumer tech spending from last year. Last year, spending declined 2.9% from a record set in 2021. But the attendees that we talked to here at CES yesterday were optimistic. Take a listen. Despite the challenges, um, you know, this is no time to hit the brakes, you know, and, and stop the progress that the tech industry has been making. I think that tech is very resilient. At the end of the day, people still want to enjoy products. They want these products to make their lives better. 
And uh, yeah, so we're excited to be here. And I spoke to the CEO of Boatmaker Brunswick. He said he thinks his customers will keep buying. Premium products are holding up very strongly and more value oriented products are a little bit more under pressure. But overall, um, boaters want to go boating and we're seeing them being as resilient as we normally expect them to be. Here at CES, there's also a big focus on the metaverse and, of course, questions about those gadgets' growth potential in this kind of economy. Guys? Julia, you know, I've, I've heard CES this year be joke, kind of jokingly, maybe not so jokingly, referred to as the CES auto show. There's so much beyond what we typically think or we've seen in years past in terms of gadgets coming from the big tech companies. And I wonder, is that coming through on the ground as well? And also, you know, there's sort of some of the newest, most disruptive, most interesting technology has actually been in software, advancements in AI like ChatGPT. Are you hearing about some of these things? Is that being incorporated at CES this year? Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of questions wrapped up in their dear But just to start off in the, the conversation about the automakers, every year for the past decade, we've seen autos have a bigger presence here. Last time I was here, which was 2020, there were a lot of autos on the show floor. There's a whole area devoted to electric vehicles here. And I was walking around some of them yesterday and a real focus on sort of the idea that every company is now a tech company and auto companies in particular, they are tech companies. And it's not just Tesla that I saw Mercedes area. We have all the major automakers here and even some new electric vehicle makers here that are in the spotlight. So I think there's this idea that it's not just tech for tech's sake. It's the way tech can be deployed in all of these different industries. So a real focus on auto. Also, John Deere is here and we're seeing this technology not just in cars, but in boats um, and also uh, in other big, uh, big, these big devices, whether you're farming or, or using these devices for other things. So certainly a conversation about tech influencing every part of the economy. All right, Julia Borston, thank you. Uh, meanwhile, it's been a rough 12 months for the semiconductors with the SMH ETF down 32%. Among the worst performers in that time period, AMD, that name off 53% in the past year, but worth noting, it's still trading above pre-pandemic levels. AMD has been hurt by a slowdown in the global economy, glut in the chip sector. So, Where's the next leg of growth for the company? Let's welcome in Lisa Su, AMD's CEO, coming to us live from CES after a keynote. Lisa, great to see you. Uh, I got to start off really, really broad because we've got these comments from uh, some other CEOs in the tech industry, Satya Nadella, Andy Jassy. Just as you're heading into 23, and I know we're ahead of earnings, so I'm not trying to get you to say anything that has to do with that, but this austerity, belt-tightening, what you're hearing from uh, from OEMs, from, from customers, what is it that's needed during this period? Well, uh, first of all, good morning, John. Thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. Um, it's actually great to be in Vegas this week, uh, kicking off the new year with um, CES 2023. And it's also great to be here because we get to talk to a lot of our partners and customers all in one place. So, you know, as we look out into 2023, I mean, certainly there's the overall macro backdrop, um, as you're commenting on, but we're extremely excited about, you know, our products. Uh, we've always been a very product-focused company. Um, when we have also a breadth of markets. So in addition to our, you know, data center markets, um, you know, really across all of our embedded markets as well as PCs. And we look at this as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to 
continue to invest in the longer term while understanding that um, in the short term, you know, there's, there are these macro you know, things that are going on there. But we're going to continue to invest in technology. Well, let's talk about some of those investments that uh, you unveiled today. Your flagship processor for laptops now has an AI engine in it. Um, we, we talked about this before in, in, in terms of heterogeneous computing, the idea that you have multiple cores uh, in a chip doing multiple things, uh, hyper-efficient, you can turn on what you need. Um, th this AI, what's that going to allow customers to do? And initially, do you expect it to be more of a high-end premium um, business customer feature or something more mainstream for gamers or consumers? Yeah, it was a you know great night last night um, at our keynote. We launched um, so many new products across um, our notebooks as well as, um, as you mentioned, our new uh, Ryzen AI capability, which is the first time uh, we're putting um, AI you know directly in our notebook processors. And I really view this as the beginning of a wave, John. I mean, we've talked about you know sort of the importance of having sort of the right computing for the right application and. Uh, you know, we see that uh, certainly in the cloud and what we're doing in, you know, the large data centers, but now also bringing that um, into the notebook form factor, it will allow us um, to improve user experiences like never before. And um, that's really exciting. You know, we see things like making your collaboration uh, much more, you know, real life, improving your productivity, uh, improving, you know, your gaming and for commercial users, you know, improving the way you do security. Um, for your IT department. So yes, you know, we're very excited about it, but I would say that this is the beginning of where AI can really become you know, sort of mainstream in everything that, um, that we have in, in, in silicon. This feels to me like the sort of thing that's going to take a while to have an impact really on the top and bottom line in a significant way because you've got to get software work done both on your end and on your partner's end, right, to take full advantage of that AI. That's the sort of thing that takes a couple of years. What, what sort of timeline do you expect to uh, develop differentiation in AMD-based products based on uh, these AI engines? Well, our first um, you know, notebook processors uh, with our Ryzen AI will actually launch um, in March. You'll see them in laptops this year. Uh, you saw some of our largest OEMs are adopting um, you know, this technology, and we're working very closely with Microsoft as we integrate into uh, Windows as well. And I really view this, um, you know, the way we should think about this, John, is um, it is uh, definitely an opportunity for us to continue to innovate in this area and bring new user experiences. And it's not just on the client devices, but, you know, we also see, you know, large opportunities um, in the cloud. I heard Julia talking, um, you know, in the earlier segment about ChatGPT and, you know, sort of all of the interest in how we can use AI in more applications. You know, we also previewed one of our largest data center processors um, with that can be used for, you know, some of these large language models that enable some of that um, AI capability. So AI is definitely here to stay. It's definitely going to be across um, cloud, edge and client. And, um, you know, we love the work that we're doing here. You know, Lisa, I wonder, you know, you point out uh, this open AI and CES is largely about the future and innovation and excitement. Uh, but there's a lot of the street conversation right now uh, surrounds, for example, the, the layoffs at Amazon. I'm just looking at a Morgan Stanley note right now that says they've long written about what they call excess headcount and investment in tech. And I wonder how you're thinking about uh, headcount, at least both within AMD and among your peers. 
Well, I think the most important thing, you know, for us in tech is, um, of course, we have to be prudent and we recognize that, you know, when the macro is softer, there has to be some, you know, adjustment. Um, now, what we're doing, though, is we're actually um, ensuring that we continue our, longer, our long-term investments. Um, you know, tech, I've, I've said this before, it's, it's a three- to five-year cycle to develop some of these leading-edge capabilities. So, you know, we can't, you know, really adjust that on a quarter-by-quarter basis. But what we can do is, you know, make sure we're cognizant and we're always, as I said, very prudent in terms of, you know, ensuring that our, our overall growth is within the envelope of, um, you know, where the business is. All right. AMD CEO Lisa Su coming to us from CES. Lisa, thank you. Meantime, add Dell to the list of growing companies looking to diversify their supply chain out of China. We'll get details and debate on that report coming up next. Plus, we still have the CEOs of CrowdStrike and Qualcomm coming up this hour as the Dow's down 380. Tech Check's just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. new report this morning indicates that Dell is trying to phase out all the chips made in China by next year, joining names from Apple and Intel looking to diversify their supply chains. Our Christina Partsinevelos joins us to break this all down. Uh, what do we think uh, Dell has actually said here, Christina? Well, it, it's incredible that Dell is planning to do this within just one year, and that means completely stopping uh, using China-made semiconductors. And it's not only just those that are made from Chinese firms, it's companies like foreign firms like TSMC or Intel that have production facilities in China. So that means that Dell can no longer or plans to no longer use these chips. This according to the uh, Nikkei Asia. And it's not only just about sourcing. You also have news. This is from a Taiwanese newspaper. This would be the Commercial Times. They're saying that Dell by 2025 plans to remove their facilities out of China and move to uh, Vietnam. So you're going to have a shift in the supply chain. We've seen this just over the last little while amid tensions growing between Beijing and Washington. We know that the U.S. imposed exports. Export, uh, controls for specifically for high-tech chips to China. You had China retaliate. They complained to the WTO. And I, when I say retaliate, and I'm using that word very, very lightly because they haven't actually retaliated uh, in a, 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 I guess, a, a business-type way. And, and, and this is an ongoing problem. And it's not just Dell, you have Apple. Apple, too, just in October, uh, they announced, or there was, I should say, um, 
uh, October, it was November, they were talking about shifting production to Vietnam with their Apple uh, MacBooks. And in October, they did uh, warn, too, that they may not be using chips from YMTC, which is a Chinese memory maker. So I've just laid that all on you. The tensions are growing, Carl. Dell's the first one. You have Apple as well and other companies, too, that are talking about diversifying their supply chain away from China. Right. And two, two things come to mind. One is that it's not just about chips, right? Other parts of components that go into the machines. And also the idea that although reshoring is something we celebrate here in this country, it's kind of hard to build an argument that it's actually going to be deflationary in terms of cost. Right. Exactly. It's the complete opposite. Even when you, see, you have TSMC that's opening up their uh, corporation, or I should say their factory in Arizona, that's not going to reduce costs. If anything, this is going to be a huge uh, inflationary factor for the chi uh, the chip sector as a whole. And so this is a concern in, you know, two to three years because it's not going to happen overnight, diversifying away from China. So this is something you have to keep in mind. And also why we saw a lot of the chip names just drop dramatically just over the last couple of months because of these increase in tensions. All right. The bifurcation of the chip industry, another theme we could see continue this year. Christina Parts and Avalos, thank you very much. Meanwhile, CrowdStrike, one of today's worst performers following a downgrade from Jeffries, the CEO and the director of the nation's cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency. They both join us from CES on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Let's turn now to CrowdStrike and take a look at the stock shares. Uh, they are much lower today following a downgrade to neutral by Jeffries, also appearing this morning at CS, outlining their expectations for cybersecurity and the broader threat landscape in the year ahead. With us now from Las Vegas, CrowdStrike CEO George Kurtz and Jen Easterly, Director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Good morning to you both and thanks for being with us. George, let me start with you. On your last earnings call, you said that you were seeing the deal cycle lengthen, especially from SMBs. What have you seen over the last few weeks? And what is the risk that some of these companies pause adoption altogether? What would be the risk more broadly for everyone else? Well, I think when you think about security, obviously it's something that organizations are going to need. And in fact, when we see a downturn in the economy, we see some of these layoffs, uh, it's an area that's of great exposure to many companies. Uh, and it's a time when adversaries continue their relentless attacks. So uh, from a cyber perspective, uh, the demand is there. Uh, companies need it. There's a lot of regulatory requirements around it. And uh, the reason why we're at CES is because this is all about technology. And where there's technology, there's risk. And uh, security is needed. So, um, you know, we continue to see that from SMB uh, in terms of the need all the way up to enterprise. And um, again, it's managing risk and making sure that companies are secure in a, uh, a very turbulent time. But George, are you seeing those deal cycles lengthen or adoption pausing? Any information or color you can give us from the last few weeks? Well, what we've seen, and we've talked about this in the past, is that companies continue to add more layers of approval. 
just because in their own operations, they, uh, you know, they're managing their own budgets. Uh, and that's what we've, you know, continued to see and uh, nothing new to add uh, since our last earnings call. Okay, Director Easterly, um, what I'm getting at here is that maybe cybersecurity isn't as resilient as the market thought last year. We have seen these lengthening deal cycles, and we know that it doesn't necessarily take a vulnerability at a major company, but it could be a vendor or something way back in the supply chain. So what would you tell CEOs or CFOs that are lengthening that process about the importance of continued spend on cybersecurity when they're facing pressure from investors to cut costs? Yeah, I'd say a couple things. First of all, uh, we get caught up in calling it cybersecurity. It really is a matter of cyber safety, consumer safety. You know, we live in a world that is highly connected, highly interdependent, where the critical infrastructure that Americans rely on every hour of every day to get water and healthcare and power and communications and transportation is underpinned by a technology base that is basically unsafe. So it's absolutely critical that we come to cybersecurity, cyber safety, with a much more sustainable approach. What does that mean? That means that technology companies who for decades have been creating products and software that are fundamentally insecure, they need to start creating products that are secure by design and secure by default with safety features baked in. You can think about it like automotives that come with seat belts and anti-lock brakes and crumple zones and airbags. That's what we need as consumers to be demanding from our technology. We've somehow normalized the fact that we've accepted that technology software and products come with dozens and hundreds and thousands of flaws and defects. And we've normalized the fact that we've basically placed the burden of cyber safety on consumers who least understand the threat and are least prepared to be able to deal with it. Cybersecurity will continue to be a big industry and CrowdStrike is a great partner. Uh, but at the end of the day, the cybersecurity industry is uh, created because technology companies fundamentally have created products that are insecure by design and we need to fundamentally change that if we're gonna have sustainable approach to a defensible cyber ecosystem. Right, and we've seen a massive ramp up in that technology adoption over the last few years throughout the pandemic. George, the message feels clear here that cybersecurity or cyber safety isn't just nice to have, it's need to have. At the same time, as companies look to potentially pull back, how are you looking at your own business in terms of hiring plans in the year ahead or perhaps M&A activity, consolidation in the space? Well, we do think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the space. And with uh, $2.5 billion in cash, uh, we think we're in a great position. Uh, it's a matter of being patient. Obviously, you've seen and we've talked about the valuations of the public markets going down. And, and obviously, that's rippling through into the private markets. And uh, as a consolidator and as uh, one of the big security platform companies, uh, we think there's going to be a great opportunity in the future. And we continue to look at that. And, you know, at the same time, we continue to manage the costs in our own business and uh, flatten out headcount growth. And, and really making sure that uh, you know, we're in a position to succeed as we go through uh, this downturn uh, and the tech industry goes through this downturn and make sure that we come out uh, even you know, bigger and, uh, and stronger on the other side of it. So we do think it's a great opportunity. And as you know, many great companies uh, have done really, really well in downturns. And again, security is a must have, as I've talked about many, many times.
Right. You've mentioned that many times. Yes, indeed. Uh, George Kurtz and Director Easterly, thanks so much for being with us from CS. Thank you. And we continue to watch shares of Tesla down again today, more than 4% at this point. After posting its worst year ever, the company reporting December sales of China-made cars fell to the lowest level uh, in five months. That sell-off continuing to pick up steam as strong jobs data indicates the Fed is likely to stay aggressive. Tech Check and Qualcomm CEO with more on EVs coming up on the other side of this break. There is a resurgence in media stock optimism to kick off the new year. We got an upgrade of our parent Comcast and Charter today. Add that to this week's bull calls on Netflix and Fox. Julia Borston is here to discuss uh, from CES. I'm also looking at B of A on Disney today. Uh, JB saying that they do expect Iger to make some pretty decisive moves early. Yeah, there's so much to talk about in the media space. And I think what's interesting is for Comcast um, and Charter, Comcast, of course, are, are CNBC's parent company, those upgrades really don't have anything to do with the media business, which is the part of the business we're in, and much more about demand for high-speed data. The idea that broadband is not only going to be in demand, but demand will only continue to grow. And we've gotten past the point of this pull forward of demand because of the pandemic, and now we're into a new growth cycle there. So I think that's really interesting to identify there. And then when it comes to the more media part of these media names rather than the broadband piece of this, I just have to point out that there's so much conversation here at CES about the advertising business. This is traditionally where advertising negotiations start off. Those negotiations continue um, through the upfront presentations, and then we see a lot of ad deals done around the Can Line Festival. So CES really is part of the ad ecosystem as well. And one thing I'm hearing a lot about is a lot of enthusiasm for the ad-supported platforms. This plays into Netflix and also into Disney since they both launched their ad-supported streaming services and especially when it comes to Netflix hearing a lot about how as they crack down on password sharing that should be a big driver of that new subscription offering. Carl. Uh, meantime I know uh, Warner's uh, CFO uh, said uh, at, an at, at an analyst conference that 2023 would be a year of, of rebuilding and I wonder you know we talk about a lot of these tech companies taking tough medicine on headcount and, and making uh, write-offs of, of different sorts uh, but I wonder if you think you could make the argument that media has already got some of that under their belt. They already have some of it under their belt, but I am hearing that 2023 is going to be a tough year, or what some people are calling a transition year for media. Not necessarily a growth year, but a year of things stabilizing. Um, and I think what's going to be so interesting to see, Carl, and I know you're a close watcher of this as well, is how consumers respond. Um, you know, those upgrades of Comcast and Charter are all about increasing demand for high-speed broadband. We know that that's important. But then you have to look at the other consumer spending, and that's around streaming services. So are we going to see people switching from ad-free to ad-supported? Are they going to be saying, I'm going to cut back a little here? And so I think this is going to be a year of transition as some of these new services launch. Remember, we're going to get a combination of the Warner Brothers Discovery um, streaming service. Will we see other consolidation? Will we see more changes with Hulu? But I don't think we're expecting a lot of growth this year in the media space more stabilization and then I'm hearing a lot of talk about growth in 2024. Yeah, that's a great way to, right. to frame CES as well, uh, being the first of a, a busy spring. Uh, Dee, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to thank Julia uh, and get a quick market check. Julia, thank you. Uh, the Nasdaq is down more than 1% today. Let's get to a news update with Bertha Coombs. 
Thanks, Deirdre. And Bruce Coons, here's what's happening at this hour. Any minute, President Biden is expected to detail plans to address the border crisis, including new enforcement measures to increase security and expand pathways for legal, legal migration. He is also expected to tell Congress to take action and that without funding and reform, the system will remain broken. Biden is planning to visit El Paso, Texas on Sunday, his first trip to the border since taking office. Private payrolls rose by 235,000 in December, with companies adding far more positions than expected, according to ADP. That growth comes even with a slowing economy and aggressive tightening from the Fed. We'll find out more about the labor market tomorrow, of course, when the government releases the monthly jobs report. And Walgreens posting better than expected earnings last quarter with an early flu season helping to drive sales of cough and cold medicine. Sales of beauty and personal care items were also up, which helped to offset losses from a dip in demand for COVID vaccines and home tests. Shares are still down this morning, however. Carl, back over to you. All right, Bertha, thanks so much. Uh, one key mover this morning is Bed Bath & Beyond. The stock's getting crushed as it explores a potential bankruptcy. Uh, does say that they have uh, doubts about continuing as a going concern. Shares down 25%, plus the CEO of Qualcomm on its big push into the EV market. Welcome back. Mixed signals in the holiday season on consumer spending. New data from Adobe this morning showing online holiday sales hit a record number in 2022, but that came at a cost. Overall sales were up 3.5% for the two-month period of November and December and crossing a total of $211 billion. But discounting was a huge driver of the traffic, so there are big questions here, D, about how much profit? What was the impact on margins yeah. of all of that? And we've seen it in these after Christmas sales, right? I mean, I don't know what you're seeing in your inbox, but I'm seeing like 30% on top <laughs> of 60% off and 75%. Uh, I mean, hey, I mean, that, that doesn't show a consumer that really wants to spend that badly. I mean, it's just been a deluge for the last last few months. Um, certainly the discounts being thrown out. You have to look at the impact of inflation as well, guys, right? Um, but it does beg that question, something we talked about at the start of the show. If gross margins, if profit margins are going down, how are these companies going to make up in terms of that operational efficiency? And it's a good question for the retailers right outside of tech. Um, could you see some layoffs going forward for some of these companies? It's been pretty remarkable, the number of downgrades of retailer names. It was Target yesterday. Today, it's uh, Tapestry, Nordstrom, Gap, Shopify, John. Jeffries goes to a hold, uh, citing a slowdown in e-commerce. Uh, it definitely is sort of the thing you would expect if you're looking for the consumer to start reining in their spending, as a lot of that excess savings we talked about last summer has been depleted. We're in this weird middle space, not just when it comes to consumer spending, looking back on the holiday numbers, but also when it comes to jobs, who's hiring versus not. You know, in these ADP numbers that we got this morning, it was so interesting to see uh, all of the hiring was in small businesses. Larger businesses were actually mm -hmm. cutting back. So what does that mean? Does that mean the smaller businesses that couldn't get people are now able to find those people because we're <laughs> at the end of well, that tight labor market cycle? I don't know. That's an argument you hear a lot here in San Francisco, the Bay Area, right? Finally, these smaller companies have an opportunity to get some of these 
engineers and other talent from the larger tech. Also, this trend between uh, services, right? Goods and services. You are still seeing spending hold up. I know we've been talking about travel and China opening up, which we'll talk about a little later as well. But that's where the spending's happening right now. Yeah, well, somebody had to uh, man that clearance rack. All right, watch shares of Oracle this morning. Meanwhile, Jeffrey's upgrading that to a buy, writing they have their mojo back. Stock's still down 1%. That call and others behind today's movers. You can catch that live on CNBC.com. And the CEO of Qualcomm on the other side of this break, live from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Got some car tech to talk about on top of this macro. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Tech Check. We continue to bring you more from CES. Earlier this hour, we spoke to AMD CEO Lisa Su about AI and their new chips and the troubling macro environment. She said some adjustments will be necessary. Our next guest saying his company is going to continue to set the pace for innovation in the sector, increasing the investment in electric vehicles. Qualcomm CEO Cristiano Amon joins us now from Las Vegas. Cristiano, Happy New Year. Um, Want to talk about autos, and you got an interesting uh, car behind you, but i got to start on the macro. Uh, we, we just heard from uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, um, not long ago, hours ago, saying that there's a need for short-term efficiency, despite his long-term bullishness for demand in tech. How quickly have you at Qualcomm had to shift your posture toward some targeted job cuts and a hiring freeze, and how much is the landscape still shifting? Happy New Year to you too, John. Uh, maybe I'll go back to what we said in the last earnings call. We, we did see, uh, you know, as we head into 2023, the macroeconomic environment, we actually had about uh, three factors uh, on our business. One was, of course, the macro. The other one was inventory in the channel coming from the supply chain constraint. And then you have the China lockdown. And uh, we, we had indicated at that time, we're going to be very active managing operating expenses. But we, we're kind of uh, on, on, uh, on our plan. And, uh, you know, the silver lining, I think they're off one of those three factors. I think China lockdown seems to be going uh, into a better direction. So maybe that, you know, handsome market, you know, could show signs of improvement. We don't know. We'll see. And, uh, you know, in fact, as we continue to diversify the company to auto and IoT, we're actually hiring in some areas. Okay. Now, let's, let's talk about what you're announcing there at CES, Snapdragon Ride Flex. Now, we, you were here for your uh, auto investor day here in New York a few months ago. We're talking about your work on EVs and also on automated driving systems. This is putting that that digital cockpit pit, that ADAS into one chip. Why is that important based on what customers are demanding? Well, let me step back a little bit as I answer this question. We are all in on auto. We have been very committed to diversifying the company. Auto is one of those vectors. The CS show has become a very important auto show. We're all in. We actually have five announcements. For the first time, right behind me, you see the Qualcomm concept car. I wish you were here to see it. It's like you would not expect a company like Qualcomm unveiling a concept car that shows everything that is possible with the Snapdragon digital chassis. The other announcement we made, as you mentioned, the Flax, 
which is the first time you can have both a digital cockpit and ADAS on a single chip. We, we announced the product. We had a momentum uh, uh, for our next generation Snapdragon Ride, which is our Gen 2 for autonomy, mm -hmm. is now sampling to every single tier one of the industry. And a couple more exciting things. I was on the stage with Sony Honda Mobility as they unveiled a new car with Snapdragon Digital Chassis, and we announced a partnership with Salesforce, which has been building their cloud system into Snapdragon, as now for the first time, the car companies are going to do uh, CRM and be interacting with their, their customers through those screens. Okay, so It's a great opportunity in Auto. So, Cristiano, what, what impact do you expect this macro slowdown to have on EV and automated driving uh, adoption? Are OEMs going to slow that down at all, pace it out the way we see so many enterprise customers trying to uh, pace out their technology deployments? Look, I'll say that in a very simple way. When you look at the future of the automotive industry and where investors expect uh, automotive companies to be and what is going to define uh, the winners of the future of automotive is really two things. Are you moving to electrification and are you dig becoming digital? The car is really becoming a connected computer on wheels hmm. and I don't think uh, that is going to slow down because okay. it's, it's a necessity for the car company. Let me try to slip in one more. Uh, we, we always talk about 5G, but we haven't had to talk about 5G in the context of a slowdown. How much of a driver is 5G going to continue to be in 23? Well, you know, we have seen, you know, the slowdown mostly infected by, uh, impacted by the size of the handsome market. Now, uh, and with that, we actually even brought our numbers down uh, based on the fact that the mobile market is smaller because of the macro. But th that had not stopped the transition to 5G as a percentage of devices. So mm. devices continue uh, to upgrade to 5G, and we continue to see this trend that we've been talking about years. The next phone people buy, they expect it to be a better phone. And you get a, a bigger share uh, of the dollar uh, build in those phones when they've got 5G, I recall. Cristiano Amon, CEO of Qualcomm, thank you for joining us from CES. Thank you. And, and coming up, a continued resurgence for Chinese tech stocks to kick off 2023. The catalyst behind that reversal, that's next. Plus, add this to your New Year's resolutions. Follow and subscribe to our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts in the new year. Tech Check is back in a moment. Hang Seng Index is off to its best start since 2018, and ADRs, that is shares listed here in the U.S., they are following suit. You've got Alibaba, Baidu, JD.com, Pinduoduo, Netties, they're all up double digits this year, despite being mixed today. But take a look at this data from Bespoke. These names, all the ones I mentioned, are either overbought or extremely overbought, raising the question, can this outperformance continue? There has been a sentiment change as Beijing signals a possible ending of its crackdown on tech, or at least some sectors of tech. In addition to those loosening COVID restrictions, Carl, you've also got potential support for the property sector. But as it always is with Chinese stocks, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And you still have that question, is this a trade or are these stocks investable? 
Uh, meantime, Dee, I know you know the uh, Morgan Stanley desk wrote about revenge travel in China right now because uh, the Chinese New Year's begins on mm -hmm. January 22nd. And they say outbound travel booking up 5x year on year with the average spend per order up 32 percent year on year. John, we're going to watch that on the at least as far as travel is concerned. Yeah, we'll see if it's a head fake. And meanwhile, we also want to close out the show where we started the slowdown in the macro and the effect on tech. We spoke with the CEOs of AMD and CrowdStrike earlier in the hour, got their take on this recent downturn. We have to be prudent and we recognize that, you know, when the macro is softer, there has to be some, you know, adjustment. Um, now, what we're doing, though, is we're actually um, ensuring that we continue our long our long term investments. Um, you know, tech, I've, I've said this before, it's it's a three to five year cycle to develop some of these leading edge capabilities. So, you know, we can't you know really adjust that on a quarter by quarter basis. But what we can do is, you know, make sure we're cognizant and we're always, as I said, very prudent in terms of, you know, ensuring that our our overall growth is within the envelope of um, you know where the business is. At the same time, we continue to manage the cost in our own business and uh, flattened out headcount growth, and and really making sure that uh, you know we're in a position to succeed as we go through uh, this downturn uh, and the tech industry goes through this downturn, and make sure that we come out uh, even you know bigger and uh, and stronger on the other side of it. So we do think it's a great opportunity. D, my takeaway from that, plus what Satya Nadella had to say from Microsoft. It's about to get real in about two to three weeks in earnings, margins and guidance. What is going to happen? You got to kind of place your bets, put your positions in now, right? Yeah, it's going to get real. And who's best positioned to sort of weather the incoming storm if that's what you think it is going to be? Um, from George Kurtz, it was interesting. You know, we talked about consolidation. If you're a platform play in this environment, Carl, perhaps there is opportunity. Of course, chip makers, they got to look at that secular growth, which can be hard in this market environment. Uh, indeed, uh, we did get at least a firm earnings date for both Apple and Intel. And a lot of the desks uh, guys this morning say with the firm's earning date, maybe the likelihood of a pre-announce goes down. And maybe you get some stabilization in at least Apple, which is green on a day where the tape overall uh, is not good. Before we go, uh, don't miss another big day from CES tomorrow. We're going to check in with the Nasdaq's Adina Friedman, uh, Trade Desk's Jeff Green, and even Amazon's Senior VP of Devices and Services. That's that's coming up. Uh, very big show uh, tomorrow. Look forward to that. For now, uh, Dow down 420. Let's get to the judge in the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.